does it baffle you sometimes when you think in terms of all of the pieces that you're made up of? <laughs> That was my grandmother asking me to ponder my mixed identity, something that I don't do very often. I'm from the U.S., and the U.S. loves putting labels and categories on our identities, so even though I'm mixed with a lot of different cultures and races, I can choose to keep confined to my box, label myself black, and spare myself the explaining of why I don't look like half of my family. Since my grandma asked me this question, I've been thinking a lot about mixed identities and how mixed people navigate the world around them, as well as the two or more worlds they may come from. I think a lot about how my racial and cultural identities are perceived differently depending on where I am. I've been able to travel a bit in my life, and because each country has their own ideas about what certain cultures and identities look like, my whole existence has meant something different in different contexts. My own racial identity is based on how the U.S. perceives me, but also based on identifying with people who look like me. My grandma, she looks more like me than my own mother, or I don't know, maybe she doesn't, but people say that because she has the same skin tone and some identifiably black features, something that my white mother does not. I decided to have a conversation with my grandma about not only her mixed identity and family, but what race means across borders and some of her experience with race in the U.S. and in South Africa, where she's from. Because we had a conversation about like mixed identities, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm very mixed." <laughs> like, but like most of the times, like people see me and they would just say, "Oh, like oh, you know, like." oh, you're black, da-da-da-da, so then I just start saying, I'm black, I'm black, I'm black, and never say, like, oh, I'm mixed, I'm, but I was thinking about, I was like, I am all the way mixed. <laughs> well, you know, that, when I have an issue with that is when I'm cornered into having to, to fill in a block of African-American, and um, there's no part of me other than my citizenship that's American, but it doesn't make sense to people because, but you're black and you're American and you're African. And, no, I'm not. I, I'm, a, I'm a mixed African woman who happens to have American citizenship. As you could hear my grandmother say, she's an African-born mixed woman. My grandma's name is Omega, and she moved here from South Africa during apartheid when she was around my age. She's also mixed race like I am, and we talked about some of the struggles she and her family faced as a mixed race family. Because I'm most familiar with racial identity in the U.S., I wanted to ask more about race and the difference in perception of mixed identities in the U.S. compared to in South Africa. I just want to hear more about like race and like how how y'all were perceived back in South Africa and then here. Like, do you really? I I don't know. You can speak for yourself, but also if you know like Auntie Anne's experience with that as well. Like, what was it? Do you think it's easier here or? No, just 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 easier there because yeah. you know what? It's not because of. because of that history 
it's not unusual in South Africa to have, uh, let's say if there's a family of, of six, to have um, four of the family be really light-skinned and to have two that are darker-skinned or that show the mixed, the mixed race. And so, um, so it was just accepted in South Africa. You know, when, when Auntie Anne was born, um, she had... She had this strawberry blonde hair and these, and of course her light, light colored eyes. And then there were the rest of us in different shades, but we were, if, because that was fairly common in South Africa, it was never questioned. Mm. People, for whatever reason, when we came to the US, it was a very difficult concept for people to accept. And as a matter of fact, Auntie Anne, um, Auntie Anne's in-laws, I learned after her divorce. After Auntie Anne got got divorced, she finally shared with me some of the really abusive things that this family, her in-laws who were white, had said because they didn't believe that she was our birth sister. and so they would say things to her like she was adopted, she couldn't have been our sister. Um, they, they, this is the same mother-in-law who used to say that to her had a black cat that she named Nigger. Oh um, and that's how, and, and at the end never spoke up. She was always one to just kind of take the abuse and go in another room and cry and feel sorry for herself. We talk more about race struggles in the U.S. and the division in the black community like light skin versus dark skin and good hair versus bad hair and how having a family where each sibling looks different, some with dark complexions and some being white passing, was a hard transition for her family. She said that in South Africa it was recognized that there were siblings and there was never need to prove racial identity, it could simply be stated. And at first I was thinking that it sounded like a very strict perception of the U.S. culture around race, but then she told me a story about a classmate back in South Africa that was able to become white, and I realized the history of race is very different in South Africa than in the U.S. where we have the one-drop rule. You know how I said to you that in some families there would be like three dark and two that look white or one dark and one one of my first boyfriends his name was Peter (laughs) Peter looked um, like your average white boy he had blonde hair, blue eyes fair skinned Um, his whole family looked like that except the youngest daughter When, when his baby sister was born she was born with my coloring and um and you know her hair was nappy and um so the family uh, the, the father interestingly enough his job his his business was he was an herbalist and so he actually his clientele were all um native Africans who travel to our area to come and and buy his herbs. Um, And at some point he decided that he had the opportunity to do something um, bigger 
to take on a white identity and give up his colored identity. And it was that easy. You could just go to the court and say, you know, I wish to be white. And then if you had some people who could say, yes, you, you, you're, you're, you're the white persona that you could get your, you could get your, your identity changed. And so his family, he had that ready for his entire family, except his baby's baby daughter couldn't get her identity changed to white because of her skin coloring and her hair texture. So the family, in order to move up socially, all got their race identity changed to white. One sister decided she wasn't going to do that so she could take care of her baby sister. So these two sisters, the one, the older sister, took the, adopted her baby sister, and they lived as mother and daughter, and the rest of the family moved to... Um, to a white area and got a white identity. Yeah. And so years passed and I didn't see Peter again. And then I was in high school and we were at the train station and I was on one platform and he was on another platform waiting for his train. And he was with all of his friends and they were all these white boys and there was Peter. And our eyes met and we looked at each other, but we couldn't speak to each other. I couldn't, it was like, he, he and I had been friends since we were like six years old. And at this point I was like probably 16, 17. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we couldn't acknowledge each other. Whoa. Because now, now Peter was white and I was still colored. That's pretty messed up. That's so wild. Yep. But but that's that's how common that was in South Africa. Just that's how very common it was. How stupid racism is though. You're right. This story made me think about how race is constructed not only by how we are perceived by those around us, but by the history and context in which it was constructed in the first place, which also controls the flexibility of race. So race might have been more flexible in South Africa, and although race had a part in how people were treated, it was understood that mixed identities had the potential to shift between worlds. This historically is not the case in the U.S. because our history of slavery and the one-drop rule, which usually restricted mixed people to identify as black if they had any black ancestors or if their physical appearance looked more black. But don't think that racism didn't affect mixed families in South Africa, as it was illegal to even procreate with another race to produce these mixed race identities. And even families like my grandmother's who went against those corrupt rules still internalized the racial indoctrination. My grandma told me the story of when she married my grandfather, who is a dark-skinned American man, and this is what she said. The indoctrination of apartheid had been so intense that when um, I met your grandfather and we wanted to get married, um, my mother didn't want me to get married to him because he was too black. And she was very angry with me. Um, she didn't speak with me for three years until after your papa was born. 
Only um, because she she was she was so wound up about what would people in South Africa think of the fact that I had taken a social I'd stepped down socially on the level of a black man. Wow. That's how strong indoctrination is, and we had to fight all that, Lizzie. Yeah. In, the, in, the, in the end, I shouldn't say in the end, but it didn't take long before it was, it was funny, and you can envision this knowing Grandpa. We would go, my mother wouldn't talk to me, but we would still go visit her. And we would go to visit her, and she would ignore me, and she would ignore Grandpa. And Grandpa would go into a room where she was sitting, and he'd have this conversation with her. He would just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> and she would turn her back to him, but he would just talk and have a conversation with her. And when it was time for us to leave, he would give her a kiss on the cheek, and we would leave. Uh, and never, 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 never did he say a bad word about um, who does she think she is, what is blah, 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 none of that. He just loved her through all that. And then she finally had to give in and she, she, the new couple was born and she wanted to, of course, be with her first grandchild and, um, and by then she had fallen in love with grandpa and by, by the time not long after that I think she would have traded me and for him any day <laughs> but she 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 got she had to get she had to evolve from that whole colored versus black versus white thing but that's how deep it was Every time I do this podcast thing, I end up talking for hours and I have to choose which parts of which conversations I've learned the most from. Today, not only do I think I learned that my grandpa has the most consistent, caring personality and that he's probably a better person than I am, but I also learned that the complexities of the mixed identity only get more complicated across borders. Every country has a different history with race, which makes our present experience with race differ depending on where we are. We have to listen to narratives like these to understand the people of our world and the struggles they face so we can unteach things like racism and colorism, because sadly it seems like these are universal issues. Thank you.